All right, let's get into the word today. If you have your YouVersion app out, you can follow along or the Bible. You can open up to John chapter uh, eight. We're gonna look, we're gonna start there, then go to John 13 and then a couple of other passages this morning. Just the last in the series, Make Room for God. I hope that you are still involved in the prayer and fasting and the Bible reading plan. I did notice this, is a unique thing I noticed this week, and that is we moved into Leviticus this week. Leading into Leviticus, man, everybody was commenting and saying all kind of stuff. Very few comments in the book of Leviticus. It's kind of like, I just really want to get through this. And I, feel, I know what you're talking about. I'm telling you, when you start reading the book of Leviticus, you kind of go, really, God? I mean, really? And so you just kind of, you just kind of, just, it's just hilarious for me as I watched every morning and throughout the day. I usually read my, do my stuff in the morning and then at night I'll check it again, kind of see what you guys have said. And very few comments this week on the book of Leviticus. And even commentaries don't want to commentary on, uh, they don't want to mess with Leviticus much because it's kind of like, wow, um, give, me, give me the New Testament. Praise God. All right. John chapter eight, the cost of discipleship is the, is the final in this series that we're going to do today. John chapter eight says this, to the, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jump down to chapter 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So the question uh, that we're going to begin with today, and I'm going to ask it probably a half a dozen times or more throughout this teaching, because I want you to begin to think about this. Does it cost to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Does it cost to be a disciple of Christ? I'm not talking about, before anybody gets sideways about anything this morning, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is the free gift of God. It was purchased for us through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are saved by grace through faith. You cannot work your way into God's good graces. You can't work your way into God's favor. You can't work your way into salvation. That is a free gift. We just accept that and walk underneath that, the blood of Jesus Christ, forgiven of all of our sin, past, present, and future, and we're saved. We're Christians. But today is more about what happens after that. Because we hear a lot about getting saved. We hear a lot about coming to faith in Christ, and, I, and we... Most services, we give an altar call for people that want to make a decision for Christ. But what happens after that? Does it cost anything to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And I want you to begin to think about this this morning and think about it this week. And, and hopefully you can come to some, some uh, um, I don't know, uh, epiphany or something about how this works in your life. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said this, who... He said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. The question again, is there a cost to discipleship? Is there a cost that we have to, that we have to deal with as a follower of Jesus Christ? All right, so let's ease into this today. The three components here in Matthew 16 are deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. In the book of Philippians, Paul writes this. He says, look, we need, we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out our own salvation. And we always quote that. Most people that have been around church for any time, we quote, work out your own salvation. We tell people, work out your own salvation. But we don't quote it in its entirety. It's not unlike the passage where we go, if you resist the devil, he'll flee. 
That's a, that's a passage in James, and we, we resist the devil, and we, and we go, well, I'm resist, resisting the devil, but he's still around. What, what's going on? Well, we forgot the, the rest of the verse. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. So if we leave out that very important resist the devil piece, I mean, you know, you know, that's one thing, but if we leave out the submit yourself to God, we miss the whole point. Because you can resist all day long if you haven't submitted to God, the enemy's gonna slap you six ways to Sunday. Can I get a witness in the house this morning? All right. So what does it mean to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? This is not, this is not, I'm afraid that if I sin, that God's sitting up in heaven on this big throne and he's got a handful of lightning bolts and he's going to just zap me into oblivion with a lightning bolt because I make a mistake. That's not the fear. We're not talking about being afraid of God or being afraid of Jesus or being even afraid of judgment. That's not what this is about. But the, the fear means serious caution. Um, it's, a, it's a self-distrust, if you will. It means that I, I let my conscience be moved to a place where it's tender, where, it, where, where there's a vigilance in my life about temptation, and, and, it, and I don't want to find myself in, an, in a place of high-mindedness, thinking that I've got it, that I'm never going to have any problems as a Christian, that I'm, I've been a Christian so long that the devil doesn't even bother me anymore, and I, I'm never going to be tempted. We don't want to go that route. That's not fear and trembling. That's high-mindedness and pride, and the Bible's pretty clear about what's going to happen to that. It's looking at our life in this respect, <clears throat> and I'm going to, there's a, there's a, it's kind of a King James word. It means, it says, take heed lest we fall. In other words, we can't look at other people and go, well, I'll never do that. Okay, we have, what we do is we go, we go, you know what? Except for the grace of God, that could be me. Except for the grace of God, that could be me. You know, it's kind of like when you, when, you, when you are growing up and you, maybe you're married and you have friends and y'all go to dinner somewhere and your friend has kids and they're like little hellions, you know, and you look at them and you go, my child will never. I just want to tell you something. There is a law called the law, law of sowing and reaping. <clears throat> if you say that, your children are going to be a cut above when it comes to hellioness. I mean, they are, your kids are going to act out at levels like you could not imagine. You say, well, what can I do about that? I've already said those words. You just pray for mercy. That's all you can do. But in our personal life, in our walk with Christ, what, is, what, is it, what does it look like to work out our own salvation with this, with this serious caution? where we're looking at our life and going, you know what, if, if, it's, if, if, if it's, it's not for the grace of God, then that could be me in here. That I don't wanna do anything in my life that dishonors or offends God and Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. I don't wanna do anything like that. That's what, that's what fear and trembling is all about. Now, I will tell you this, that there are a lot of people that would try to get us to, to believe that, that Christianity and, and being a disciple of Christ is a one-size-fits-all that every Christian looks like this little box right here and it's a cookie cutter, ka-chunk, 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 and we all look the same, we all act the same. None of us, if, if I can't do it, bless God, you can't do it. And if I can do it, then everybody else should be able to do it. And that's, that's a wrong way to think about our discipleship because there's not a one-size-fits-all. To show you what I'm talking about, I want you to turn to Mark 10 or follow along with him, and this, this, is, this is the deal. Mark 10, verse 21. This young guy comes up to Jesus one day 
And, and he runs up to Jesus and he said, he fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, you, should not, you, you need to honor your mother, your father and your mother. And he looked at the boy, looked at him and said, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Then Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. All right, two or three things I just want to point out. <clears throat> First, he gives him the list. Like he just kind of goes to command. Here's the 10 commandments. Boom, here they are. And he goes, I've done that. I have done that. And if you've been around church all of your life and stuff like that, you probably have, have kept the 10, the big 10 pretty easily. I mean, you know, I mean, I, we don't murder. I know sometimes on the highways when people cut you off or they stop at the roundabout, you just kind of want to go, you know, boom, and then drive around them, you know, and let somebody else figure them out. But we don't murder people, okay? That's not what we do. We don't commit adultery, we don't steal, we don't give false tests, we don't lie about people, we don't defraud others, and we honor, we honor our parents. That's, that's, the, that's part of the Ten Commandments. That's just part of being a Christian. Those are generic. Everybody's, we gotta deal with those. Everybody's gotta deal with those. But those are like the easy ones. The ones that are not easy are the ones that are not necessarily written down in, you shall do this and you shall not do that. That you and I are required to figure out on our own for our individual selves. Now, there are a lot of people today that live in ultra-legalism and they want someone to, here's the box. If you live inside this box, then you're a Christian. The problem with that is, is it's not true. Now, you can try to live in that box. The Jews did for a number of years. The tr trouble with that, they get to the Council of Jerusalem and they're going, look, my daddy couldn't do it, my granddaddy couldn't do it, and my great-granddaddy couldn't do it, and none of our forefathers could do it. So why are we trying to get everybody to live by this code? Let's just narrow it down to love God and love other people and, and this kind of stuff and abstain from sexual immorality and let's move forward in that. And everybody kind of went, that makes sense. Because not, there's not a one size box that fits everybody. In this story, we have a young man who's kept the commandments. He's kept the commandments. Okay, I've done that. Okay, now let's deal with you personally. So what you have give it to the poor, then come and follow me. And the guy went away sad because he had great possessions. Now, before anybody jumps to the conclusion that I'm taking this passage out of context, let me tell you this. This story in the Bible is not about the wiles and the, and the horrors of wealth. It's not about that, okay? God is, Jesus is not saying here that you can't have money. He's not saying that. He is saying that money can't have you, okay? He makes this statement, and when you read the, the next section there, he makes this statement. He says, he's, you know, he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter in the gates of heaven. And the disciples just freak out, and they're like, what? You know, and, which is kind of interesting to me because you know, these guys, they don't have two nickels to rub together. But yet in their culture of the day, if you were wealthy, you're considered in God's favor. If you were poor, you were considered to be under God's judgment. Just like if you were well, God loves you. If you're sick, he's mad. 
That's the culture of the day. It's also interesting how much of that still floats around in the 21st century today. But here's the thing. Then Jesus says on a dime, he just says, wait a minute. You may think that's impossible, and it is for men. But with God, nothing is impossible. In other words, it's not necessarily about that. It's about what God can do and who God is. So the thing I want you to see about this story is this. No one else in scripture was told to sell everything they had and give it to the poor and follow Jesus. This guy was told. He's the only one. He's the only one that Jesus said, sell everything you got, give it to the poor. And then follow me. Jesus was dealing with a very important concept that we're talking about this morning, and that is you have to deny yourself. What is that thing in your life or things in your life that God is requiring of you? That's a part of the cost of following Jesus. That's where the cost comes into play. Now, for the next few minutes, I'm gonna, I'm, the next 10 minutes or so, I'm gonna unpack this, and, but, I, but I want you to understand something. What I don't want you to do today is leave here going, woohoo, I feel great because I went to church. What I want you to do today when you leave is have some things going on in your head where you're kind of noodling around with it for the next week or so going, am I really walking the pathway of discipleship in my life? I'm not gonna tell you what sins you've got to lay down because I don't know what sins God would, might require of you. I don't know what yourself is. Okay? Because it's different for everybody else. In his life, the de denying himself was, I've got to deny myself of the hold that this fortune that I have has on me. His cross was to sell it all and give it to the poor. That was his cross. He had to do something. Once he realized what it was, he had to do something with it. He had to bring it under subjection to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's the way that the Lord required him to figure that out. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. His cross, sell your stuff, give it away. His cost of following Jesus was just that. So the question I have for you this morning is, have you given thought to what yours is? What's yours? You know, and don't look at your neighbor and go, well, what do you think mine is? Well, I don't know what mine is. I'm not sure what mine is. Look, they can't tell you that. They can't tell you that. You have to figure that out for yourself. And here's, here's, where, here's where New Testament Christianity is a wonderful thing because we don't have to check our brains at the door. It's not a blindly following this box set of rules and regulations. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. It's not about that. It's about figuring it out with the, with the serious caution and the realization that I don't want to do anything to dishonor God or offend the Holy Spirit. And so I've got to figure this out for myself. No one else can figure it out for me. I could stand up here this morning and I could rail against the list of sins in the book of Galatians, the flesh, the lust of the flesh. I could, I could rail against every bit of that stuff this morning. And some of you would just come to this altar and squalling and bawling and crying your eyes out going, oh God, forgive me of all this kind of stuff. But that's not what this sermon's about. The sermon's about hope, hopefully getting you to a place where you will engage your thought process and figure out what it is God is saying to you personally that you have to pay 
to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What is it gonna cost you? I can tell you what it's cost me. Because in, in Phil Daniels at its core, and I'm, gonna, I'm probably gonna make some of you feel very uncomfortable about the way, what I'm about to talk about here this morning, but I, I still have to do it. I did it in the first, I wanna do it here. I am born, I'm a human being, I'm a human male, and I am born with a bend toward immorality. I, was, I lived a sheltered life. You guys know that when I was 10 years old, I kicked over a milk crate and saw pornography the first time, and for the next 15 years, it consumed my life. But it wasn't just the visual. I, started, I acted out on that stuff, and it carried over into my, my early adult years and even the first few years that Kim and I were married. I hope this doesn't offend you, but I have, I have a bend toward having sex with as many people as I can, as often as I can. Now, before anybody goes, oh my God, pastor just admitted, I have never stepped out on my wife. We've been married in two months, in a month and a half, we've been married 37 years. I've never stepped out on my wife. But that doesn't mean that the bend is not there. I was born with a sexual desire to be with as many women as I possibly could. Yours may be different from that. But here's the deal. When I began to try to follow Christ and began to try to figure this stuff out, I began to realize that that's not the way God wants me to live. But I was born that way. I was born that way. And you take off the restraints, you take off the biblical, the biblical uh, parameters that are there that I've had to work out in my own life, and I'm telling you, I'm a, I would be as wild as a running buck. Now, this may be uncomfortable for some of you, but you need to listen to what I'm telling you this morning. That's me. What's yours? What's yours? I'm 58 years old. If I cast off biblical restraint, guess what? I'm right back into that stuff. Every day of my life, I have to do what Paul says. I have to die to myself. I have to deny myself. And the cross that I've had to pick up down through the years, there's basically two of them for me. One of them is a personal lifestyle choice that I have to live in a place of that, that my wife, my wife is my wife and I love her and I'm not going to do that because this is what God's told me in his word. Doesn't matter how I was born. Doesn't matter what I was born with, which bend that I have. It's what, how God expects me to live. And so I've chosen to do that. The other piece of it is how, what I've chosen to do vocationally. I grew up in a household. My father was a successful businessman over in Bay County for 27 years. My life before me was set. All I had to do was graduate from high school, go to college, go back in the family business. He would retire and I would take it and I would expand it and move on in that. And, but there was a point when I had to say no to that and yes to vocational ministry. And I can tell you after 37 years of vocational ministry, there've been a lot of times I look back and go, I wish I was putting up fence. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is there's a point we've got to deny ourselves. We gotta take up our cross. What is your cross? Is it your desires? Is it your career? 
Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it relationships? What is it that, is, that God is saying to you about you? Put yourself in this young man's place. I've kept the commandments. I want to serve Jesus. Okay, okay, you're Christian, but here's the thing. I want you to understand. There's some things that you've got to address in your life. I want you to deny yourself, then take up your cross. And once you've done that, then you follow me. Are we communicating this morning? Yeah. All right. Why? Why can't I go the way that I'm made? I can. I can. I have free will. I can do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. But there's a cost there as well. Because Jesus also said, whoever wants to save their life, what is that life they're talking about? It's not, it's not a life for, it's, 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 I want to save that thing. I want to save myself. I want to do what I feel like I'm supposed to do. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life or whoever denies himself will find their life. It's not a physical life. It's our self. It's that peace inside. It's, and this young man, it's, it's the great wealth that he had amassed that he was so connected to that had him in, in just in bondage to the wealth. What's yours? What is yours? I can't tell you what that is. You have to search the scripture for yourself. You've got to work it out, but you've got to work it out with fear and trembling. You've got to work it out with serious caution. You've got to work it out with, with not trying to be proud. Well, this is just the way that I am, and I'm going to do this anyway. That's not how we go down the road, because that's pride, and pride does what? Comes before a fall. So we walk this path with serious caution. We walk this path working it out because we don't want to fall. We work this path because we walk this path because we don't want, we don't want to grieve God and we, want to, we don't want to offend God's holiness. Then he said in verse 28, he said in verse 26, what good would it be for someone if you gain the whole world? What is that whole world? If you gain everything that you want and everything that you're bent toward. What if you gain everything that you want but yet you forfeit your soul? What will you give in exchange for your way? Is what this means. What will you give in exchange for your way? Is it, whatever that it is, for every one of you in this room, it's different. For every single one of us, the it in our life is different than the person sitting next to you, the person behind you, the person in front of you. What is the it in your life? Is that it? really worth losing your soul over. Do you know what your cost is? You say, well, Phil, I, would, I really kind of like the grace stuff, and I really like that. I'm just, this, this is a little much this morning. I mean, we're going to go eat here in a little bit, and I've got to think about this over lunch, and I'm kind of nauseous already. Well, good. Good. Because we've got to work this stuff out. We gotta work it out. Do you know the cost of your discipleship journey? Have you, even, have you ever even considered the cost of it? Well, I've been going to church for 15 years or so and I've never thought about this. Okay, well, guess what? You have no more excuses. Well, I've never heard this before. Well, now you have, okay? It's interesting to me that, that the passage with the young man, it said this, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
And then he said to him, you know what? There's one more thing. You're raising your kids. We raise our children. What do we do? We, you know, we, if you raise your kids, you, you bring kids into this world and you never, ever, ever talk to them about what they can and can't do. When they get to be old, we all have to deal with those brats. We have to deal with them as adults. And it's a pain. Okay? But if we do our job, when that kid starts, that kid starts crawling around, you know, and they start standing up, reaching up, when they get in the kitchen, try to reach up, the first, you know, they're cooking at the stove. Guess what? Your kid wants to, they want to reach up there and you go, don't touch that burner, it's hot. Don't run across the living room floor with scissors in your mouth. You know? You, you got to do those kind of things. Why? There's a, because there's a cost of growing up in this household. Okay? You got to think about this stuff. But why do you think about that stuff? Because you're looking at your children and you're loving them. And you're saying, I'm not swinging the gates open wide. And you don't do it, you, you deal with each kid differently. There's a commercial out right now. You see them, you know, the first kid, they're talking to a babysitter and they're listing out this whole long list of things. And the same babysitter, second kid, that, as the mom's going out the door, she throws the diaper bag and hands the kid one hand to here, bye, boom, closes the door, boom. First kid say, every kid's different. You raise them differently. Why? Because they're different kids. They're different kids. It's the same thing. You look at your children and you love them. Jesus looks at us and he loves us and he says, okay, you're keeping the commandments. You've asked me to come in here, I've forgiven you of your sin, but there's just some stuff that we got to talk about. And you got to figure out what that conversation looks like. First, you got to have that conversation. I can't have it for you. I mean, I can tell you some stuff from the Bible, but I can't work out your salvation. I want you to engage your brain, engage your heart, engage everything that's going on in your life. Because here's, here's the thing about this. If we live by what we feel, then we find ourselves being captivated by the deceitfulness of our heart. Because everybody's bent toward their thing. We're bent toward desire, we're bent toward lust, we're bent toward all of these things. We're bent that way. But the heart, the Bible says, is of everything about us, it's the most deceitful. And nobody understands it. Are we willing to go to the place of cost? Are we willing to deny ourselves? Are we willing to take up our cross? Are we willing to follow Jesus? Are we willing to figure it out with fear and trembling? Is there a cost? Yes, but I want you to see something. And here, I will, I will leave you with a little bit of good news. Okay? And here it is. If you look down at verse 29 and 30 of Mark 10, <clears throat> same guy, this guy went away sad. And Jesus is referring to him. He said, I'm telling, he's talking to his disciples. He said, listen to me. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields no one who has left relationships and possessions and stuff for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. What is he saying? Let's, let's talk about this young man. He's saying if he would have sold everything he had and given it to the poor, God would have restored his stuff times 100. That is an unbelievable return on investment. 
And what he promised that, what he said he would do for that young man, he does for every one of us. But we've got to, we've got to deny ourselves. We've got to take up our cross and we've got to follow Jesus. Because he said this, they will receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But then in the age to come, we get even more reward, and that is eternal life. So let's stand all the room this morning. This whole series has been about making room for God. Sometimes the reason we don't have room for God in our life is because we have too much self in our life. So you got to figure out what part of you do you have to deny? What is the cross that you need to pick up and carry so that you can follow Jesus? I can't answer it for you, but you can figure it out. We do have a class here that'll help you. It's called the What's Next class. If you want to help, it'll help you get started in this journey. Here's, here's what I'm going to tell you too. As you start this, it's going to come in layers. There's going to be some stuff that God's going to start talking to you about. You start laying those things down, then there may be some other stuff. This is, this is not a one, a one and done. This is a lifetime. This is a lifetime. 